Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you set real goals in real times, you achieve. So all of the others are feedback systems to set real goals in real time. It just needs to be really objective, needs to be congruent with what you value. You need to make sure it's real, something that's tangible, that you really specifically are committed to making happen. I knew I wanted to travel to every country on the face of the earth when I was 17 years old. I've spoken in 194 countries now. So those are very clear goals. I mapped out and made a list of every country, and I'm ticking them off as I go. And I got more coming this year. I'm Doug Bobst personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Dr. John Demartini. Dr. Demartini is a polymath and a world-renowned human behavior expert. Dr. Demartini's mission and vision is to share knowledge and wisdom that empowers you to become a master of your own life and destiny. He's an internationally published author, a global educator, and the founder of the Demartini Method, a revolutionary tool in modern psychology. His education curriculum ranges from personal growth seminars to corporate empowerment programs. His teachings are the synthesis of knowledge and wisdom from the greatest minds throughout history, and his curriculum is designed to help you empower and inspire all seven areas of your life. Today on the show, we discuss why you aren't attracting what you want into your life, the surprising reason that people engage in unhealthy behaviors, how to escape from the victim mindset, how to determine if you're living a life of integrity, how to attract the right relationship into your life, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Dr. John Demartini to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Dr. Demartini, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'd love to jump right in. If, if people aren't attracting what they want into their life despite their efforts, what are they doing wrong? Well, they may not be doing anything wrong as a moral construct, but they may be assuming it that what they're pursuing is really, truly, truly, truly what's highest on their values. Our brain has a pulvinar nuclei in the thalamus that is the gatekeeper and filter. And every time we sense something and perceive something, it filters out anything that's not high priority and allows only that which is high priority to go up into the cortex. So we filter our reality. And we sometimes pursue things that we think are important, but aren't actually truly most important to us. And then we wonder why we can't seem to pursue it and stay disciplined and focused on it. Whatever is highest on our value, we're disciplined, reliable, and focused on our brain filters, and we persist on it, and we don't stop until we get it, regardless of pain or pleasure. But something that we think is important that's not truly important we don't notice respond, uh, you know, opportunities. We don't take advantage of them. We don't retain information. 
We don't act with discipline. We procrastinate. We hesitate. We frustrate. We stop. We give up. If it's not easy, we stop. And this is what most people do. And then they think that there's something wrong with themselves. When that is actually a feedback to make sure you're setting real goals in real times that are truly important, that are real objectives. I, I have people come to me all the time and say, I want to be financially independent. But the moment they get money, they spend it on consumables that appreciate in value. And they, they say they want financial wealth building, but what they really want is immediate gratification. And so what they think they want, what they say they want, and what they're actually in their hierarchy of values are two different things. So I try to help people find out what's really important to them, what their life demonstrates, and then set goals according to that, or change values so they increase the probability of achieving what they say they want. How does somebody know that they're going after the wrong thing and they have their wrong set of values that is making them you know, seek out things for the wrong reasons? There's no wrong set of values. There's just a set of values. You know, that's the illusion that people have. I, I need to, you know, these are wrong values. They're not wrong values. Their values are dictating how they perceive, decide, and act. But when they compare themselves to others and look up to people and envy people and then inject those values into their life and try to be somebody other than who they are and try to envy and imitate other people, and then wonder why they're not getting and making progress is because they're trying to live what they say they want, which is actually not what they want according to their own values. So that's why I have a value determination process on my website, free, it's complimentary, it's private, that helps people look at what they really want, what their life demonstrates, not what they say. What they say and what their life demonstrates, I've been doing it 46 years of value determination. <laughs> Very few people are congruent. What they say and what they actually is important to them are not the same thing. And so the first thing to do is to identify that because that's why they're not disciplined. That's why they keep thinking they're sabotaging. That's why they're not staying focused because they keep doing something that's not really priority to them. They just think it is. For the sake of this conversation, let's just say that I don't have access to go to your website in, in real time right now, but I would like you to help me at least get on track to determine what my values are. What are a couple, you know, key questions you'd you'd ask me to get me going on this on this path? Well, the value determination process is composing okay, because composed of thirteen questions. I've been doing value determinations, like I say, forty six years almost. And they what they do is they give and reveal what your life demonstrates. So I ask people, um, when you have something that's really value to you, valuable to you, you keep it close to you. When it's not valuable, you discard it and get it away from you. So your space, your intimate and personal space reveals what's valuable to you. Because if it's really important, you keep it close to you. You spend time, you find time, you make time for whatever is valuable to you. So how you spend your time tells you what's valuable to you. So if I had a drone looking over you and we took a look at what you fill your space with and what you spend your time on, it would indicate what your life demonstrates is important, not maybe what you fantasize. The third one is what energizes you. When you're doing something that's high in your values, your energy goes up. When you're doing something low in your values, your energy drains. You gain energy when you go up on the high values. You drain energy when you go to lower values. So what energizes you most and what do you always have the energy for and what is it you can keep going and engaged in nonstop? That tells you what you value. And by the way, if you ask these questions, there's 13 questions about space, time, energy, and there'll be a pattern 
that would be revealed when you ask these questions and hold people accountable to answer them honestly. There'll be a pattern that's revealing what's valuable to them. The next one is money. They find money, make money, and spend money for things that are valuable to them, but they can't and don't want to spend money and run out of money or don't way have a find can't find money for things that aren't. You know, some people can go out there and they make sure that they go and get their nails done, but they can't afford their bills. <laughs> they can't pay their rent. <laughs> but their nails are in good shape. They got their eyelashes on. You know, their hair is fixed up nice, but they can't pay the rent. Or guys that somehow have a high value on, you know, going out and partying or something like that, but they're not they're not making money enough to pay their bills too. So what you what your life demonstrates you spend your money on reveals what's valuable because you find your your hierarchy of values is dictated by dictates your financial destiny. The the fifth one is where are you most ordered and organized? Because things that are valuable to you bring order to and organization to. And things that aren't really important to you, you don't get around to keeping in order. So you've got a lot of chaos around things low in your values, but you're very ordered when it comes to things that are high. The, the, the sixth one is what is it you're most disciplined, reliable, and focused on? You, you know, when something's high in your value, you don't stop. You just keep going. You know, I'm, I've been in teaching. I've been doing teaching 51 years. <laughs> I've been doing it every single day for 51 years. You don't need to motivate me. You don't need to remind me to do it. I'm disciplined. I'm reliable. And I'm focused on it 51 years. So whatever you're disciplined, reliable, and focused on, that tells you what's really valuable to you. The next one is what are you thinking about? And the next one's what are you visualizing? And the next one's what are you affirming inside your head about how you would love your life to be that shows evidence of coming true? If there's no evidence, it's not really important to you. And if it's not something you really love and be inspired to do, it's not important to you. But where you go, what is it you think about, visualize, and affirm that's really, truly important to you that your life is demonstrating is coming true? Mine is traveling the world teaching. So whatever it is that's really valuable to you, you make it, you make it come true. The next one is, what is it you converse with other people about most? When you're in social conversations, you lead the conversation to what's important to you. And if they talk about it, you can talk all night about it. You're engaged. Even if it's 12 o'clock at night, midnight, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, you'll keep talking because you're engaged in it. So what engages you? What do you want to converse about most? That tells you what you value. The next one is, what is it that inspires you and brings tears to your eyes of gratitude and inspiration when you're doing it? What do you love doing? Mine is researching and teaching. I love doing it. It's inspiring to me. I could do it every day, all day. The next one is, what is the most consistent, persistent goals that you're pursuing that show evidence of coming true? The ones that, not the ones that don't come true, not the ones you keep thinking you're sabotaging, not the ones you don't seem to have time for, but what is it you're making time for, you're making in progress, there's evidence of it's coming true that you're consistent on. And the last one is, what do you spontaneously want to read, study, learn about, and, and watch on YouTube and, and fill your mind with? Because whatever's high in your value, you want it to come into your brain and absorb it. You want to absorb it, retain it, and apply information that's valuable. You're engaged in it. So if you look at those 13 questions and look at the pattern answer that repeats itself, because there's a repeating answer. I've been doing it all these years, thousands of people, millions of people. If you go and look, you'll see there's a pattern. It will reveal what's really important to you. And anytime you set goals that are not matching that, you're going to self-defeat. So you need to find out what that's committed to first. Now, if you want to change those values, there's a science of changing them. But if you don't set a goal that matches the values or you don't change the values to match the goals and there's an incongruency, you're going to end up beating yourself up and wondering why you're not achieving. I feel like a lot of people, myself included, 
we've deemed things important, whether it be physical health, mental health, relationships, money, et cetera. But because we lack confidence in ourselves, or we lack self-esteem, we lack discipline, our actions and what we deem as important are just completely misaligned. You don't lack discipline. There's not, I've never met anybody that lacks discipline in what's important to them. It may be watching TV. <laughs> but what they lack discipline is, is the injected values of outer authorities that they've now envied, that they think, oh, I should be like that. Anytime you hear yourself saying, I, I got to, I have to, I must, I should, I ought to, supposed to, and I need to, you're injecting an outer authority's values into your life that you're envying and trying to imitate. And then you're wondering why you can't stay focused on it because it's not your values, it's somebody else's. So you don't lack discipline in your highest value. You're not uh, procrastinating or hesitating or frustrating in your highest value. But you, if you expect to do something, it's not. Like I, 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 I go work out once a week. I do a beautiful workout. Tomorrow morning, I do my workout. I love doing it once a week. I don't want to do it three times a week. A week. If I if I sit there and envy somebody else that thinks I should be doing that, then I'm going to think I should be in there. What am I doing? Why am I sabotaging? No. I love working out once a week, and I'm disciplined. I'm there every week. But I had a lady that lived on the ship here where I live, and she's really a, a you know really engaged in workout. She goes in the gym at 7 in the morning, and she's there until 7 at night. And she comes up to me and says, John, you need to be working out three, four, five times a week. And I said, you need to go to the library three or four, five times a week. I'm joking with her. I project my values onto her. She, she's gonna, if she tries to live in my values, she can't. And if I try to live in her values, I can't. So unless you change your values to match your goals or change your goals to match your values, there's no, no congruency. And it's the incongruency that causes people to self-depreciate, question themselves, doubt themselves, et cetera. Because they're wondering why they're not doing what they say. That's why determining your values is so crucial. Because it, it, your life demonstrates your values. Your fantasies are not demonstrated. And fantasies are anytime you expect to live outside your values and try to live in somebody else's that you envy. Do you think if you were to get some sort of health scare and the doctor was like, John, Dr. Demartini, you got to do this so you can fix this area of your health. You should start exercising more, whatever it is. So, and a trusted expert that came to you that you that you really trust. Like, would you then make a shift to change your values and what's important to you, or would you just stay the course with what you're doing now? Not according to the authority. According to whether that authority has communicated effectively what he believes or she believes in terms of your values, so you can see how you'll get your values met by doing it. Let me give you an example because I'm a health professional too. I used to have people that come in my office and they said, you know, I've got a a, a sore shoulder and neck. It's, it's, it's all tightened up or whatever. And I and I said, I notice on your, your history form here that that's been going on for three months. So you didn't come in here because of a sore shoulder or you would have been here three months ago. Now, I asked them, so what happened recently that this shoulder is interfering with that's very vitally important to you. And the person, there's a woman in this case, she said, well, that's interesting. I have had this shoulder problem for three months now. But the other day I was driving on the freeway with three of my children in the car in seats. And I couldn't turn my neck and I didn't check it. I had a blind spot and I got out in the freeway and I almost got run over by an 18-wheeler. And I scared to death out of myself. I thought I was going to kill my kids. So her values were her children. 
as a mother. That was her highest value. So she didn't go because of her pain. She got, went there because she thought she was going to jeopardize the health and vitality of her family. That's what made her come to the doctor's office. So you need to find out what's really driving people. And we have intrinsic drive around what's really important. And so if I want somebody to change their behavior, I need to communicate what I believe will be valuable to them in terms of what they already have in their highest values and they'll do it. So if somebody's listening to this and they're, they're, they're like, all right, I get it. I know that I need to make a change. Like watching TV is, is, is not going to be good for me long-term. You know, I need to stop checking out. I need to really get in line with my most important values. And this person has just been doing these, these patterns for, for months and years. I mean, it's just like they're, they're programmed now to, 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 to do this. Like what is the first step after they've determined their values, they've taken your quiz for them to start to unlearn some of these unhealthy behaviors? Well, I'm going to challenge that belief because that's not what's going down. So let, let's let's crack that myth too. You know, many people want to be victims of stuff and want to blame things and want to fix themselves. That, that's not where it's at. That's that's and so antiquated. Let, let's look at it from a different perspective. We had um, a woman that said, you know, my son, he's 23 years old. He's sitting in front of the TV. All he does is watch TV all the time. Okay. I say, she says, I want you to consult with him and fix him because he, he needs to be doing this. He should be doing this. He ought to be doing this, right? A lot of projection of our values onto him. And I said, so your mom's on your case. I met with him. I said, your mom's on your case. He said, yeah. I said, uh, your mom says you love to watch TV. She says, I do. I said, what's the most common thing you watch on TV? He says, CSI and, and solving crimes. I said, really? So that's what you love watching on TV? I watch every, every one of those shows that are on TV I'm watching. I said, is that something important to you? Is that something you would love to do? He says, yeah. I'd love to see if I can solve them in advance. And so I'm watching that TV because it's inspiring me on doing something. I said, great. I said, so what you want to do is you want to be involved in crime solving. He said, that's my dream. I said, have you told your mother that? Yeah, but she doesn't listen to it. She thinks I should be doing this and I need to be doing this, but I just want to do that. And so what are you doing? You're just getting by in school. Yeah, I just get by just to pass school. But that's I don't see how that's going to get me what I want. I said, have you ever looked online and looked at what does it take to be a crime solver? Right. He goes, well, sort of. But let's take a look. We got online and we looked at all the curriculums of what you would do to become a crime solver, either through the path of education or the path of police um, department approach. We looked at it after we got through. We went to his mom and said, He's made a decision he wants to go into crime solving. That's his career path. He wants to organize a school pathway to make sure he gets that. That's his dream. That's the reason he's been watching TV every single day, like clockwork. And by the way, he's not motivated to make any money because you're paying for it. You're rescuing him. You're entitling him. He has no responsibilities, no accountabilities. So when you put those combinations together, he's doing what he really wants to do. You think he's lazing around, but he's not. He's studying what he wants to study. So the second he got into a curriculum, it took a couple of months to get it all organized. He excelled in school. He didn't miss classes. He was focused. He was on his career path. And his mom was off his case about what he was watching on TV. So sometimes there's a hint in what we keep doing. There's some component of it that's high in our values. I want to find out what that is. 
and then realize that they're doing that. And in other times, it's a compensation for unfulfilled higher values. Whenever we're not fulfilling what's highest on our values, we go into our amygdala and we look for immediate gratification and we compensate for unfulfilled those higher values. So we find out what's highest on the value. We start structuring a life to move in that direction and they become engaged. Now, if TV is a way of getting there, because I, my wife used to write for celebrities, write, write articles that involve celebrities. So she watched all the shows and movies for that. It looked like she was just watching TV, but she's gathering information on all the actors to write articles. So if we look carefully, we may be finding that there's a common theme in all the things we're doing that other people don't respect. And they label us lazy or something because we're not taking the time to find out what those what's actually going down. Because every decision an individual is making is based on what they believe will give them the greatest advantage or disadvantage at that moment according to what their values are. So they're not doing something randomly. It just looks random because they're, it's not matching what we think they should be doing. Beware of labeling people. Find out what their values are. Help them structure their life accordingly. Help them break the fantasy they're supposed to live outside those and somebody else's values. And give themselves permission to go after what's meaningful to them. So what do you think are some other misconceptions about creating a life that you want and manifestation? Because I think that some people have this idea that if you just think about something and, and if you just write it down, it's just magically going to happen, which I don't believe in that at all. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? There's nothing wrong with thinking, visualizing, affirming, feeling, and acting towards whatever's priority. I mean, Phelps, uh, Michael Phelps got 28 gold medals focusing on that manifestation formula. But thinking by itself is probably insufficient. Visualizing by itself is probably not as powerful, but you put all of them together, you structure a goal that's congruent with what you value most, so you spontaneously are inspired to think about it, and you activate the executive center, which is connected to the visual center, which allows you to see the vision in your mind's eye, and you get crystal clear about what it is you're going after, and then you can affirm exactly what you see so you can articulate that to yourself and others to have you and others become, in a sense, congruent and synchronous towards that. If you then are inspired by being grateful for it, loving it, inspired by it, enthused about it, focused on it, present with it and certain that's what you're wanting, and you take high priority actions and prioritize your perceptions that no matter what happens, it's moving me in that direction, you certainly increase the odds of having that achievement. So let's just say somebody is, is doing this and they're starting to get, get what they want in life. They figure out they're doing it for the right reasons. They, they're like having success. They're happy. They're doing all these things. Somebody hits a roadblock. All of a sudden, maybe they lose their job. All of a sudden, maybe their partner dumps them. How can somebody stay focused on the path or make sure they're still on the right path when, when a roadblock happens and they don't end up falling into the, this victim mindset that so many people fall into? Yeah, but a roadblock is a perception. If you ask, how is whatever's happening to me helping me go to the next step? Nothing. There's no roadblock. A roadblock is a perception. It's a chosen perception of seeing drawbacks without benefits. Nothing more. And there is no such thing. There's no one-sided event. There's always two sides. So if you go in there and you've got laid off, there may be a bunch of reasons. Either whatever you're doing, you're not engaging, you're not providing something of value more than the cost of that, and they're having to let go of that, that job. It may have nothing to do with you. Maybe a whole division of a company, for instance. It may not be matching the market needs. 
You only have job security when you actually feel, feel fulfill the needs of people in a way that's more effective and efficient and economically viable compared to an option, a, a, a competitor. So if that's happening and somebody lays you off, that could be an opportunity for you to become an entrepreneur and go after what you really want. It could be an opportunity to refine the path you're taking and make sure you're really engaged in something. It could be an opportunity for you to go and be more acutely aware of what the market's needing and not living in fantasy lands of the past about how and what it used to be important to the market. It's going to help you if you're wise and you see it's an opportunity. And the same thing if somebody dumps you. Well, why would you want to be with somebody that doesn't want to be with you? Somehow you're not meeting their needs, which means they're not valuable enough for you to meet their needs. And so that's setting you free to get on with somebody that's more resonant with you. These are not setbacks. There are opportunities for people that see things from an on-the-way perspective, not an in-the-way perspective. It's an attitude. And if you ask yourself, how is whatever's happening to me today helping me fulfill what my mission is, and you're clear about your mission and you see how it serves it, then you thank the person for doing whatever they do along that journey because it's the next step in their journey. Yeah, so true. But I think that despite the the obvious that you just stated, so many people fall into this this trap. I mean, I did throughout my my younger years, and then I ended up in in jail. And then it wasn't until my cellmate was like, "Dude, like you're you got to stop blaming everybody else for your problems, but yourself." It wasn't until I had that realization to where I started to take control over my life and my actions again, and I stopped blaming you know these things that that happened to me, you know, years years past. I mean. Have you ever been in a, in, a, in a situation, you know, in the course of your life where you've fallen into, you know, this woe is me mindset? And if so, how did you get out of it? Sure. Everybody does when they want to blame things on the outside. But false attribution biases and false causalities never empower people to do greatness. So what you do is you ask, that's not a mistake that you had the jail experience. That was exactly the bottom hit that you needed in order to get you focused. And now look what you're accomplishing today. I, I mean, we can all sit down and make a list of the crazy stuff we've done in our life, particularly in our teenage years. I wouldn't pass a thing up. I wouldn't look at anything and say, oh, I regret that. I'm, every one of those things are part of the path. Anything you can't say thank you for is baggage. Anything you can say thank you for is fuel. Go and find out how what that – go into jail, how it served you, and be grateful for it. And be, be inspired the idea that you did that. Say, so, yeah, I was transformed my life. It took that to make me – I was a little dense at the time, and I got some feedback. And, man, I got to meet the teacher that I needed right there in the jail. That's where I needed to be to get that teacher to wake me up. And, and look at it as an opportunity because otherwise you're sitting there playing victim of your history, not master of your destiny. 100%. And I'm, and I'm so thankful that that experience happened to me. And I have used that as fuel for what I do now. I mean, that's the whole basis, essentially, of you know everything that I do in my business is that transformation that I experienced. I, w- I would love to know your opinion on like abundance, because I feel like the same types of people that have this limiting belief mindset, they fall into this victim trap. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm never gonna be able to achieve this. Or, you know, woe is me, or I'm blaming somebody else for my problems. They envy people. It's all like this, in my mind, that a lot of it's the scarcity mindset. What's your view on abundance and how can somebody begin to make that shift to just start to think differently about with how they perceive life? Well, anytime you got what some people have labeled limiting beliefs, all that is is an injected value of an outer authority in your life. Anytime you envy somebody and put them on a pedestal, think about uh, you meet this hot babe and you're really infatuated with her, right? And you start sacrificing your normal daily activity to try to be with her for fear of loss of her. Because you injected her values into your life the first few weeks. And eventually you develop resentment and said, I want my life back. I want to be able to be myself and be loved for who I am. Anytime you envy somebody and try to imitate somebody because you've injected their values, 
you're automatically going to give them credit initially and then eventually blame them because you made yourself a limited belief trying to live in their values. That's all limiting beliefs are nothing but the attempt to live in people's values that aren't yours. And it's a normal feedback system to get you back on track with your own values. That's, a, that's not a bad thing. It's a feedback system. Now, abundance, there's no lack of opportunity to make wealth. All you have to do is care enough about humanity to find out what the needs of humanity are and find out where you can fulfill humanity's needs directly or indirectly with some product, service, or idea. If you're impoverished, it's because you don't care about human beings. If you really care about human beings, you find out how can I be of service to you and go and be most efficient at serving them in a direct or indirect way. And I assure you, there's income. There's no lack of income to somebody who cares. There's only a lack of income to somebody who whines and doesn't really go out and focus on becoming the greatest at what they do in serving people. There's no lack in the world. It's simply a perception. And it's because we, and usually the people that want to whine about it are the people aren't getting off their butt and doing something about it. If you go out there and care enough about another human being, quit focusing on yourself and focus on serving somebody and find the skills that you have that can be of service to people. I was told when I was nine years old, I had a company when I was nine. And that's because my dad, I told him I want to buy a baseball and a glove and a bat. What can I do to earn it? He said, there's nothing around the house that needs to be done. Go to the neighbors. So I went to the neighbors. And I started asking, how can I mow their yard or how to clip their hedges or sweep their garage or whatever it is? Anything that I could do in the neighborhood, I did. And my dad charged me for the equipment use. And then he charged me to live at the house when I was nine. But I ended up with nine employees working in a company of landscaping when I was nine years old because of it. So it's, if you, there's no lack out there. It's simply people aren't getting off their duff and going out and being willing to go out and serve people. Find out what you have as a skill and go and find who can benefit from that skill. That makes a difference. When you do, there's no lack. There's a lot. I mean, I'm, I come from the training, pers- personal training background where um, when we set goals with clients, you know, we were taught set smart goals. I'm guessing by your work and, and your idea of goals and stuff, that's probably wrong, right? No, no. That, setting a, a smart goal, a specific goal is wise. A nebulous goal is, uh, if you say I want to be wealthy, that doesn't give you anything. If you say I want to be able to have a million dollars by this date and I want to sell this many products at this price and this margin and you have it mapped out and it's very specific, you increase the odds of it getting there. Aligned with your values is A, that means it's got to be aligned with your values. If you try to do something that's not aligned with your values, you'll procrastinate, hesitate, and frustrate. So it needs to be aligned. It needs to be, it needs to be measurable. If you're not metricing your goals, it's not important to you. I keep metrics of all my objectives in life. Every time I do a podcast, believe it or not, you're listed on the podcast list. Every time I do a talk, a presentation, every time I do a consult, every celebrity, every royalty, anybody who I interact with, I measure it. I keep records of it. I document it because it's on my goal list. So if you're not measuring it, it's not important to you. And then the timely is setting a realistic time. If you're cocky and elated and puffed up, you'll t- set too big a goal in too short a time. If you're beat up and minimizing yourself, you'll set too long a goal in too short a time. I mean, too long a time, too small a goal in too long a time. When you set real goals in real times, you achieve. So all of the others are feedback systems to set real goals in real time. So smart is not an unwise thing to do. It just needs to be really objective, needs to be congruent with what you value. You need to make sure it's real, something that's tangible, that you really specifically are committed to making happen. I knew I wanted to travel to every country on the face of the earth when I was 17 years old. I've spoken in 194 countries now. 
So those are very clear goals. I mapped out and made a list of every country, and I'm ticking them off as I go. And I got more coming this year. That's impressive. And the main thing that I'm gathering that you would add to the SMART goal, or, you, or I would say not even add, but to make sure you're doing when you are setting a goal is to make sure it's aligned with you and you're not doing it just because your doctor said or just because this person said you're doing it because you act it's actually important to you right you won't do it extrinsically you'll do it unless somebody really uses extreme extrinsic motivation you won't do it you'll do it if it's intrinsically driven driven this has been known since the ancient greeks don't waste your time on things that are low on value anytime you fill your day with high priority things you achieve anytime you fill it with low priority things you end up frustrated that's that. And anytime you do high value things, you, you grow in self-worth. Anytime you do low priority things, you lower self-worth. And if you're not filling your day with high priority actions, it's going to fill up with low priority distractions. That's normal. That's been known for centuries. In my career, I've always had a lot of people come to me and, and the goal is, hey, I just want to lose weight or I want to get stronger. Or, I want to do this or I want to run faster. And I have to always break it down for them in this in a sim- in a simpler way and get very specific on what they want to achieve so that we can come up with a plan that helps them on that path. How would you coach somebody? If you're coaching me and I just said, Hey, Dr. Martini, next year, I want to become wealthier. I want to get rich. I want to make more money. The first thing I do is I call their bluff. <laughs> I said, what, makes you, what, what, what are you doing that convinces me that's true? Let me, let me, let me share something. I was speaking in South Africa in 2012, Richard Branson, and we had 5,000 people in the class. And I asked, how many of you want to be financially independent? Every hand in that place went up. Some people put two hands. Some people put a leg in in their hands up. I said, great. And then I said, how many of you are financially independent? All the hands except seven hands went down. 5,000 people. These are entrepreneurs. I said, here we've got 5,000 people. They all said they want to be financially independent. It's only seven are. Wonder why less than 1% is and the rest of them are talking about it. I said, let's find out if it's really true because the hierarchy of your values dictates your financial destiny. Let's find out if there's any real truth about you saying you want to be financially independent. And I said, I want, I'm going to give you a 60 seconds to write down the 10 things you would do if I handed you 10 million U.S. dollars today. Right now, I give you $10 million, and you can do whatever you wanted with it. I want you to write in 60 seconds the 10 things you'd do with it. And I said, go. And I gave them 60 seconds to write as fast as they could the 10 things they would do with that money. At the end of 60 seconds, I said, turn it to the guy on the left. And calculate how much of that 10 million in assets is now usable. 20 to 80 percent of that money was wiped out on consumables that depreciated in value within 60 seconds, which means they don't want financial independence. They want to spend their money on consumables and live the lifestyles of the rich and famous and the fantasies that they have. Those people don't get wealthy. The people that put that money into assets. They go up in value, and they find ways of serving people. They're the ones that end up financially independent. So I, I call people's bluff. The first thing I do is I call their bluff. How do you get them to get more dialed in and focused to be able to actually focus on the reality of that, not just the fantasy that you just talked about? I ask them nine important questions. If they can't answer these nine questions, they're not going to be financially independent. And that's 42 years of, of doing it, right? Number one is – what is your current assets, total assets right now? If they don't know that, they're not interested in financial independence. The second question is, what is your current liabilities? If they don't know that, they're not interested in financial independence. The third one is, what is your current net worth? But if you don't know where you are, you don't know where you're going, and you don't have a strategy to get there, you're not committed to it. It's all BS. 
The third question is, what's your total net worth? Your assets minus your liabilities. The fourth question is, what exactly are you defining as financial independent? It's not a nebulous thing. It's a very specific number. What number do you need to provide on a monthly or quarterly or yearly basis, passively income? What do you want? Oh, I want 100000 a year. I want 500000 a year. I want a million a year. I want $10 million a year. Whatever that amount is, it's not a nebulous thing. It's a clear, focused objective. Can't go after something nebulous. The next question, that's four. Number five, What is with all your knowledge of investing, what is the estimated interest rate return on your investments that you believe you can gain conservatively? That you feel confident as a conservative number, a minimum you can gain every every year on average. What's that number? If you don't know, you don't know anything about investing or, or putting your money into use. The next one is what is the inflation rate you're going to face? In America, it's about 3.1% over the last 100 years. The next thing is what exactly is the total amount of money that's required, total assets, total assets required earning that interest rate minus that inflation rate to give you number four, the amount you want to live on passively every year. And that's a very specific number. And once we get that really clear, we now know if I have that objective met, I'm financially independent based on that lifestyle. It's specific. The next question is, what's the shortfall between my current net worth and that current net worth, that actual net worth? And then the next question is, is what is the strategy do I intend to follow to achieve that outcome? If I don't have a strategy and I don't know where I'm coming from and I don't know where I'm going, it ain't going to happen. So that is a very precise strategy. I'm going to save this amount. I'm going to invest this amount. It's going to be done this frequently. It's going to be this amount. Here's what it's going to earn. Here's what it's going to be. There's a strategy. It's measurable. You're monitoring it. You can look at the milestones along the way. You know you're on track. You can then increase your income. You can increase your investment yield as you grow your knowledge. But if you don't have some strategy and some starting point, I can guarantee it's not going to happen. I've interviewed over 130 billionaires. I've interviewed people that are in poverty. I've done the measurements of values on people. And one thing I'm certain about is the people that say they want to be wealthy, but they don't demonstrate the actions to do it, aren't going to be wealthy unless they have a shift in their actions and in their values. We're talking about money here. And I feel like when people, at least the people that I've, that I've spoken with, when they're, they're, when they're talking about manifestation or attraction, there's like two things they're looking to attract in their life, right? It's more money or it's a relationship, something to that effect. You mentioned you, you spoke to 5,000 people. You, you had them raise their hand. Like, how many people want to be financially independent? All 5,000 raised their hand. And then you also said when you asked them if they are right now, only you know seven people kept their hand up. In the countless people that you've spoken to and come across in, in your decades of doing this work, are those the most common two things you think people are like looking to get more of in their life? Is it relationships and money or, or am I missing something? Yeah, sex and money. But the, the, the bottom line is there's productivity and reproductivity. <laughs> and then one produces income, one consumes income with children, right? And it takes sex to make both of those work or otherwise we go extinct. So, you know, relationships and transactions are the two basic things that make evolvement. That's what makes society work. So, the biz, intellect, business, and finance has t- typically been the testosterone side through history, and the estrogen side was relationships, social, and physical beauty. Now, today, that's all 
overlapping because men and women are playing on androgyny today. But those two forces are still going on. Even in two women or two men relationships or whatever you want to call them in between, they still have those two forces driving them. And they're still essential. And, and if you don't empower any area of your life, somebody's going to overpower you. If you don't empower yourself intellectually, you'll be told what to think. If you don't empower yourself in business, you'll be told what to do. If you don't empower yourself financially, you'll be told what you're worth. You don't empower yourself in relationship, you'll be told, honey, do stuff around the house you don't want to do. If you don't empower yourself socially, you'll be told misinformation and propaganda. If you don't empower yourself in, in health, you'll be told what drugs to take and organs to remove. If you don't empower yourself spiritually, you'll be told some antiquated, anthropomorphic, geocentric construct of, of theology. All of those are disempowering if we don't empower our lives. It takes education. It takes congruency to master the seven areas of life. But if we don't master and all we focus on one, we'll typically marry the other side in order to put an androgynous balance into nature. Because we need that in order to procreate and survive. So I would imagine that, like, you know, relationships and money, I mean, while there's similarities in how to, how to get there, they're different because, you know, one, it's like you can be super, very driven, goal oriented, I mean, just on it and you can make more money. Relationships, they're much more complicated, at least in my, opinion than than business in many ways um if somebody's trying to attract like a certain p person into their life they're trying to attract a relationship is the same process do you have a do you, do you go through the values process first or is it is it different for something like that like how does how does somebody you know begin with that side of things every human being wants to wants to be fulfilled according to their own values you know their their highest value is their ontological identity revolves around so who they are is their highest value so if your highest value is business entrepreneurship, somebody says, who are you? You'll say, I'm an entrepreneur. If your highest value is children, you'll say, I'm a mother. So you're tell me what your highest value is. I'll tell you who you are, what your ontological identity is revolving around. And that's how you want to be loved. And you want to love according to that. So you'll project those values onto other people as an act of love. And you'll want to be loved through those values. So the question you want to ask is, how is whatever in the partner I'm with, whatever their highest value is, how is it helping me fulfill mine? And how is my highest values helping them fulfill theirs? If you can't see how each other's values are helping fulfill each other's, you're both going to be self-righteously challenged and self-righteously project your values onto each other and cause clash, trying to get the other person to live in your values, which is futile. Nobody can live in somebody else's values. So linking values is one of the most significant exercises you can do in a relationship. And realize that more authentic you are and the more congruent you are living in your own highest values, the more magnetic you are because every human being yearns to want to be authentic and be integral to their life. So if you do that, you're more likely to attract somebody that's more in line with that than if you try to put on a facade and try to be somebody you're not. And so many people on social media spend their time trying to be somebody they're not, trying to put on a facade. I was just talking to two people that did Match.com. I've never been on there. I don't know anything about it, but they did Match.com. And they found out everybody they interacted with was nothing compared to what they wrote on their, their profile or whatever. They, they were not the same people. So if you go into a relationship or start to date somebody and you're putting on a facade and then you, gotta, you want to be loved for who you are, you, you got all that work to try to finally be appreciated for who you are. My, my advice is be yourself. Know yourself. Love yourself. And that comes from congruency. You know, if you're doing what you love every day and you're inspired by what you do, you can be yourself and you're able to be, you don't have to put on a facade. 
that's a more powerful place to attract a mate that's also more integral so you can love each other for the values because you're drawn to each other because of those values. But trying to be somebody you're not cost you. You'll hear people say when they're trying to attract you know, a new relationship in their life or a partner, they'll write down you know, the qualities in that person or they'll write out like a description of that person. And, and what I'm hearing you say is the real thing to focus on is to focus on becoming a better version of yourself and making sure that who you say you are is who you actually are. And you're not just trying to put on a facade and, and, and trying to write down what you want in a partner to avoid looking at yourself. Would you say that that's accurate? There's nothing wrong with defining what you want, but but I see people living in fantasies. I mean, I God knows how many people I've seen say, I want this soulmate crap. You know, they they go, I want this person that's that's nice, never mean, kind, never cruel, positive, never negative, peaceful, never wrathful, generous, never stingy. That you know, they don't make those. <laughs> Every human being's got both sides. You know, if you if, if I was to say to you, you're always nice, you're never mean, your bullshit meter would go off and you go, no way. I'm, I'm nice and I'm mean. I'm kind, I'm cruel. I'm positive, I'm negative. I'm both. So if you're living in the fantasy of trying to get a one-sided life, you're going to be depressed in life and you're going to be betrayed because you're setting up a fantasy that nobody can live by. But if you set a real goal, a real objective, which is balanced and neutral and really matches what their highest value is, they don't let you down because your expectation matches who they are. So I tell people to calm down the fantasies and get grounded or otherwise you'll have a lot of nightmares to teach you the hard way instead of just go and allow people to be both sided. So you don't get a one sided world. People live in a fantasy. The more amygdala driven you are when you're not living by your highest values, the more you fantasize about a one sided life and the pursuit of that which is unobtainable and the desire to avoid that which is unavoidable is the source of most people's suffering. The Buddha said that years ago. So you appeared in the movie The Secret. And I feel like a lot of people associate that movie with the stuff we've been talking about, law of attraction, manifestation, spirituality, stuff like that. What would you say is is, is some common maybe misconceptions about the movie, just being from your perspective, somebody that was very involved in it and, and appeared in it and stuff like that? Well, the movie was very helpful to give people the perception that they had command over their life. That part I appreciate. The movie, I mean – we filmed, there's 33 people in that movie. I filmed for seven and a half hours. I had about a minute's worth in there out of seven and a half hours. So nobody got to share what they said in the interviews, in the filming. That's That movie is a, is a compilation of Drew Harriet and Rhonda Byrne's ideal of what they believe will hit the marketplace and be bought. Bottom line. It's a part of a message with intention. It's also what will sell. Because <laughs> the original movie is not whatever went out. Nobody saw the original piece. The original piece was going to be on Channel 9 in, in Melbourne, Australia, and it got bought out by the Commonwealth Games. They they overridden, bought out the time, and so they had to go to a different – they went to DVD, Vivitas uh, DVDs. So they did an ingenious marketing game on it, but the reality is I don't know if anybody that was in the movie that didn't do seminars afterwards, the secret behind the secret left out of the secret. <laughs> <laughs> so it was incomplete, but it still started people on a journey to give them knowledge enough to know that they had the power within themselves to change the course of their life. That part deserves to get out there. But there was a lot of weakness in the movie in the sense of not giving people practical things that they can do. Just visualizing yourself by itself can be helpful, but I don't think that's complete. And I don't think anybody in the movie believed that. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about visualization and how it can work. But I think sometimes people equate that to manifestation in itself. And it's just like, okay, I'm just going to visualize what I want. And then just things are going to appear in my life. And it's because I manifested it. And it's like, no, you thought about what you wanted, then you took action and then things happened. I mean, that's kind of how I see manifestation. I, I, you know, I don't know of anybody that's done extraordinary things that sat on their ass. Yeah, I don't either. Elon Musk puts in sometimes 20 hours a day. Yeah, I bet. I slept four hours a day for 35 years. Yeah. I put in sometimes 120-hour weeks to write hundreds of books, to be in 50 movies, to do all kind of stuff. I mean, I'm, I work every day. I do what I love doing. Why not? What are you going to do with life? You know, people think, well, I want to get away from life. People that are not doing what they love to do have Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days, thank God it's Fridays and week friggin' ends. People are doing what they love to do. They love doing it. I had a guy, I could show a picture of a guy who's 80 years old that I had on the ship here. He's one of the greatest concert pianists in the world. He started at three. He's already touring the world at nine. He's 80. And I asked him how often did he practice? What is average hours a day practice? I was expecting four to six, something like that. 13. Wow. He told me he had 8,000 classical pieces of music completely memorized verbatim and could recite them and, and do those pieces flawlessly, 8,000 pieces. That's how much he's practiced. When I see people that do extraordinary things, I see extraordinary actions, extraordinary focus, extraordinary um, visualizing, extraordinary internal dialogues. I see them working at it. I don't see them just happen to come across it maybe by gift. When people come up to you and say, oh, you're gifted, I just go, really? They did that with Michelangelo. He said, gifted? If you saw how much work I put into this Sistine Chapel, you wouldn't call it gifted, man. That's an insult. Don't call. Don't ever say you're gifted. Go find out what they really did behind the scenes to get their achievements. And most of them put their hours in. 10,000 hours by Gladwell is insignificant. I've taught a course called the Breakthrough Experience. 31,000 hours I've taught that course. 1,200 times. So it's not because of of just gift or some sort of just visualization. It's also putting in the, the elbow grease into the work and the research and the, the writing and the, the traveling and the teaching and doing whatever it is you want to do. So give yourself permission to put in the hours to get you the results that you want and you'll be unstoppable. Don't lie to yourself and don't live in fantasy and don't be gullible. You know, even Tim Ferriss, when he talks about the four-hour work week, that guy doesn't do four hours a week. <laughs> he, does, he does 100 hours a week. <clears throat> He just sells the fantasy to four hours a week. Do you think that people would take – because there's a lot of people that are very skeptical of manifestation and the law of attraction to begin with because of what we just talked about and that a lot of stuff. Yeah, it gets portrayed as just sit on the couch, visualize something, and then your dream, all your dreams will come true. Do you think that there's like a better term for manifestation that would get more people like clung on to this idea of visualizing something and then taking action to actually do it? I don't think there's any need to change the word manifestation. I just think you need to clarify the components. You want to be, one, identify what your highest value is because your purpose revolves around it. Your teleological purpose is congruent with the highest value. You will automatically think about it if it's congruent. You won't be able to get out of your mind. I don't need to be reminded or motivated extrinsically in order to think about traveling the world and teaching. It's what I love doing since I was 17. I'm 69 now. So I've been doing it 51 years. 
I will automatically visualize it. I can see it in my mind's eye. I can dream about it all day long. I don't need to be externally motivated to visualize it. It spontaneously comes out of my brain. The V5, V6 areas in the occipital cortex are automatically connected to the, the medial prefrontal cortex. And when you're congruent with your highest value, that lights up under functional MRIs and both you see your vision and those are the vision flourish. And you can articulate it and communicate that vision to other people when you do. And then people can be engaged in the synchronicities of people, places, things, ideas, and events can come into your life to make it happen. And if you feel inspired and grateful and loving and enthusiastic about it, and you're basically certain about it and you're present with it, man, you're going to magnetize people that want to be part of it because there's a, there's a power in that. And if you stay focused on it and prioritize your actions and keep doing the things that lead there that are highest priority actions – and delegate the rest and find people that love to do the things that need to be delegated so you can do the thing that's most powerful and meaningful, you're unstoppable. And I've been training people on how to do that all these years since 70s, early 70s, and I'm certain it can be done. But just visualizing by itself is just a piece. I don't want to negate it. I don't want to minimize it. But I don't want to exaggerate it by itself as the only key because that's not enough. You mentioned that you wish there would have been more pragmatic stuff, action-oriented stuff in The Secret um, to help people not only use this idea of self-empowerment, law of attraction, et cetera, but also give them the tools to be able to achieve those things that they truly want in their lives. Obviously, we've spent a lot of this conversation talking about the importance of being aligned with your, your highest values and making sure your actions reflect that. If there was something else that could have been in the film that featured part of your work that would really help people, you know, really begin to live a, a meaningful and fulfilled life? Like what other thing would you have wanted from you in that film? Don't waste your time on anything other than the highest priority. So like the one thing, did you ever read that book? The one thing by Gary Keller. That's Gary Keller. I've lectured for his company many times. Gary Keller, the one thing that's so, so true. Find that one thing. Mine is teaching and researching. That's it. I research every day. I write every day. I teach every day. Every single day of my life I'm teaching. I know you've read thousands upon thousands of books. And if you were just to select a couple for the average person to, to read that would really help themselves just improve their life as in general, that have been groundbreaking for you, what would they be? Uh, Syntopicon Volumes 1 and 2 by Mortimer Adler. Syntopicon. S-Y-N-T-O-P-I-C-O-N. Volumes 1 and 2 by Mortimer Adler. It's the two most significant books on a PhD on life that you'll find. It's the greatest minds in the Western world over the last 2,700 years summarized into two books on the most important topics and ideas you can discuss and think about. Syntopican? What was it, Syntopican? Syntopican, a synthesis of the topics that are most important in human life. Syntopican Volumes 1 and 2 by Mortimer Adler. It's a worthy read. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'll definitely have to check them out because that does sound interesting. I'm all about doing what I can to just to compress time, right? And just reading, um, just learning from some of the best minds in a short amount of time instead of like spending tons of time, you know, studying those people individually. So Dr. Martini, this has been awesome. I love this conversation. You challenged me. I really appreciated it. And I think the audience is going to um, enjoy uh, this conversation as well. If people want to learn more about your work, if they want to, we talked about the values quiz. Um, where's the best place for people to connect with you? All they have to do is go on drdmartini.com. Drdmartini.com. D-R-D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. 
Go on the website. Go on. Determine your values. Find the spot that says determine your values. It's free. It's private. Do it again a week from now. Do it again a month from now. Do it again every three months. And keep current with it. And Because the first time you do it, you'll probably lie to yourself. I've, I've, I've been doing values for 46 years. And most people will lie to themselves about what's important. They'll, they'll inject values of others. They'll write down what's fantasies instead of actually what their life demonstrates. Make sure you write what your life demonstrates. But go and do that. Take advantage of it. And then just browse the website. The website's an educational website. You could spend the rest of your life on it and not get through it all. There's a vast amount of information on that website that could keep people busy learning. Anything to do with the mastery of life, that's what I've been dedicated to for 51 years. Well, I'll be sure to include the link to that in the show notes. So Dr. Demartini, thank you so much again for your time. The audience is going to enjoy this one. Thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. 